friends, welcome to another episode of Overlook Giants. I'm Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with a dynamic, inspirational singer, songwriter, producer, motivational speaker, and award-winning voice expert, Orgina Rose. I first met Orgina at a conference in Florida about a year ago, and she sang at one of the events during the week-long conference. And I remember I appreciated her energy, the gift that she offered through her voice, and the love that she emitted as she sung. During that week, I had the opportunity to sit and have a great chat with she and her wife, and I thought to myself, we could definitely be friends. Fast forward a year later, I reached out to her to ask if she would be willing to interview with me, not knowing the great story that was in store. I was truly excited to hear from such an innovative woman. What I have come to appreciate about her is her gift to follow through on her vision and her purpose. It was a treat to hear her story, not only of her triumphs, but to understand her struggles and to feel the love in all of it. Her story reminds me of the importance of sticking to what you know you were meant to do, despite the world telling you otherwise. All right. Well, my name, as you know, is Cortina Rose, and I was originally from Los Angeles, California, but I grew up in Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes. And so my, my family story is a little different although it's probably not that unusual for many of us in our community. I have three moms. I have a birth mother. (laughs) I have an adopted mother. And then I have a godmother. And so my godmother has passed, uh, but both my birth mother and my adoptive mother are both here and in my life. And literally it took a village to raise me. As it does with most of us, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) We definitely know about that truth. So, um, but yeah, and so because of that, my family dynamics are also a little bit different. So I've been the oldest, I've been an only, and I've been the youngest of seven. (laughs) So I know a little bit about what it's like to be all of those different dynamics that we hear about, right? Right. Right. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because I think a lot of people who may have come to my life or my world later in life would think, oh, you must have had it pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But that would be very much not true. <laughs> so my, my story is definitely, you know, my beginnings were a bumpy ride. Uh, literally everything from, you know, we were homeless with my birth mother, who was a teenager. Uh, growing up in shelters, had pneumonia, got kidnapped, uh, wow. then adopted. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this was all before two. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> First two years, you know. And then, you know, add in, uh, you know, being bounced around, obviously, and uh, more abuse of different kinds of just about every kind, really, uh, all before the age of five. So. Oh. Yeah. So first five years were not pretty. And, you know, when you hear all these studies about nature versus nurture and all of that, I'm one of those examples that literally the love of one person Mm. can make all the difference in the world. And Mm. for me, it was actually my godparents. And uh, they taught me what love looked like, what unconditional love was. And, you know, my other mothers did their best. 
And we actually are in, you know, my, my adopted mom and I, she's 92. Oh, wow. (laughs) She's 92 with one leg and still goes to casino and still goes not dancing to parties. So that tells you a little bit about that mother. Mm -hmm. And, And I have great respect for her now, right? Because of that, because the strength that she has had, because she was the mother of seven children uh, as a single mom when my grandfather died. So right after they got me, he died. So now mm-hmm. she's the same mother as seven. So the strength that it takes to do that and be that mom, <laughs> I have great respect for her. It's showing up now at 92, where she's still right. as spiky as ever, right? <laughs> Which is the reason why she's made it to 92. <laughs> there you go, right? There it is. All right there. Everything you need to know is right there. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, you know, amongst all of the, you know, kind of trauma and challenges of growing up, there were also these amazing uh, highlights, these high points. Uh, at five, I was asked to sing on the radio, right? Oh, wow. So, <laughs> right. Uh, I was in front of, literally hoisted onto a stage in front of a large audience at this uh, a golf tournament. My godfather loved to golf. My godmother was a seamstress, but he lived on the golf course and literally passed <laughs> on the golf course, literally. Wow. <laughs> um, but we were at a, one of those tournaments, golf tournaments, end of the season, and they put on some James Brown. Well. <laughs> these little feet couldn't stop when I heard them when I was little. <laughs> so next thing I know, there's a circle around me. And next thing I know, I'm being put up on stage and people are throwing money at me. So this was at five and at seven. And then I'm put in a magazine, you know, after that and modeling. So, you know, things just started really moving forward career-wise in the arts. And I had no idea. Obviously, I'm just a little doing the things that I love to do. I love to do this. And I knew I wanted to model and things like that. I I could spot a a camera a hundred miles away, right? And was ready. (laughs) I'm here. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So so these these amazing opportunities started showing up very, very young that really were guideposts to say, okay, yeah, this is my path. I didn't know that until really at 13 when I watched my sister do a dance recital. And once I saw that, I was like, that, (laughs) that's what I want to do. I want to be on stage dancing. You know, there was no singing. It was a dance recital, but I knew I wanted to sing. But that got thwarted a little bit because I was actually told I couldn't sing. Oh. By a choir teacher. Yeah, yeah, when I got to middle school. So uh, I decided I didn't agree with her and I was going to prove her wrong. Mm. Mm. Being that feisty mom that, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So literally, right. I set out to prove her wrong. And thankfully, my next music uh, teacher and choir director, he knew how to teach singing. And he mm. taught me, and my voice grew and got stronger. And then I started winning contests and uh, getting first place for things, getting lead roles and, and got to sing in front of that very first teacher who told me I couldn't sing right. and watch her mouth walk to the floor. So that was a moment of victory, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really was on a mission and I had actually planned all these things that I was going to say to her 
you know, about never tell a child they can't do something like never say that to a, you know, to a kid. But I realized I didn't have to. Her shock, the look of shock on her face was everything. Said everything and did it all. And I knew she she got that message just from that. So that tells you a bit about my early beginnings and start with family and even in the arts. It sounds like you had a good, at least support system in terms of your your family supporting you to do the arts, because I know um, oftentimes it can be, you know, just coming up as a queer woman of color, there are so many obstacles of people telling you what you can't do. For instance, like that choir teacher saying, you can't sing, right? And not willing to even try right, to work with you. Um, and so do you feel like the, the support of your family is what helped to propel you? Or do you feel as though it was really your own self-determination or maybe just a combination of both? Really, that's exactly what I'm about to say. It's a combination. Uh, there were, to me, three things that made all the difference. The number one and most important was my godmother who almost daily told me, you can do anything you set your mind to. This was like her daily mantra to me. And it instilled in me to believe that. And then coupled with that, my mom is very, very devout, you know, woman of faith. Absolutely, you know, praying every single day, believing, you know, faith in God and on. And so she brought that to my life and to my world. And there was a scripture that really was in alignment with that statement that my godmother was making, which was, you know, I can do all things through Christ mm-hmm. who strengthened me. And I literally wrote that on a piece of paper <laughs> and a big pen and had it on my mirror. So I woke up to that every day. So I had my godmother in my ear. I woke up to that scripture. And then, you know, yes, my family, they wanted me to succeed. You know, this was a time where, you know, Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson and, you know, so young stars were kind of in the world, right? It was in the ethers. So they were looking at me like, all right, you're going to be it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they were ready for me to like, so. Yeah, they were supportive in that way, you know, and uh, so that was a good thing. Although my birth mother was very much more the practical one. She, uh, you know, it, it was a long story to get even to college. Uh, I was going to be a computer programmer because I thought, you know, I had to have a job. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of singing as a career. <laughs> it's just what I did, right? <laughs> and it wasn't until my music director kind of snatched me and said, are you crazy? <laughs> you better get him right here. And get to college, you know, for music. But my birth mother was like, but I, you know, do a double degree so that you can teach and have something as a backup. And I didn't like that. I was like, I don't want a backup because if I have a backup, I'm going to need my backup. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm singing like this is what I'm doing. There's no question for me. Um, So but we I did a compromise. So I started with a double degree. And then then I went off to voice performance anyway. (laughs) Which is usually how it happens all the time you get to college. You're like, "Mm, nah, I'm just going to do what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's that thing again, like you were saying, you know, there's so many messages, I think, sometimes about what you can't do. Can't do this, can't do that. And when I got there, I was already a dancer. I'd already been studying dance for like six years before I got to college. and you know, I get there and I wanted to be, you know, voice major, dance minor. And they're like, no, you can't do that. 
You got to choose one and just do one thing and that's it. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? Like I want to sing, I want to dance, I want to act, I want to model. Like I'm doing all those things. That's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, you can do one thing. Focus on that and that's it. And I literally fought the like dean of the dance school to be able to get credit. And they just, you know, the minds were very, very stuck against that. And I get it. Yes, you want to focus. You know, it takes a lot of energy and focus to be really great at something. I get that. But to tell someone they can only do one thing is crazy. <laughs> it's like right. telling you you can only have your arm or your leg or your foot, you know? Right. So... <laughs> Right. So, and yeah. little do they know we were going to need like three, four jobs. <laughs> well, like little did they know what I knew in my soul was I'm doing all three. I'm doing all three and four if I can. Like, right. If I can get that modeling in there, I'm going to do that too. And I did. And that had been my career my entire life. And having all of those skills have, you know, they have served me. So when something in one wasn't happening, I was doing the other, or I was doing the other, or I was doing the other. So, but it's still the arts and it's still, for me, it was performing on stage. And that was really, really clear, you know, at a young age. So that's, that's one of my big things that I love to pass on. It's like, you don't have to agree with someone when they tell you, you can't do something, right? right? I like to pass on the message my godmother gave to me. You can do anything you put your mind to. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so along that journey of coming up with arts and family, when did you discover yourself as a queer person? When did you discover? And I, and I, I want to say that I, I use the terminology queer because I feel like it's all encompassing and I feel like it, it allows people to not necessarily feel so stuck in a box in terms of saying I'm just lesbian or uh, I'm bisexual or what have you, but instead being able to be open to that. So when did you discover that perhaps you weren't just one thing? (laughs) (laughs) Like that too, right? In that area too, right? (laughs) So uh, I think there are two key moments in my life. The first one was actually really young. I was nine and had this massive crush on a young girl who used to come and visit. Uh, my mother was dating somebody, and he used to bring his daughter. Well, <laughs> there, yes, there was just, you know, you're, you're young and you don't get it. You don't even know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. But I had a big crush on her, even though I had a boyfriend, right? right. And, and I always had boyfriends. The, the little puppy love boyfriend, right? <laughs> but I wouldn't let them not even kiss me. Right, right. But I'd already kissed her. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I only knew what was really clear, I, I, but I just didn't even get it. And, and there were several other crushes after that. And I just never put the pieces together until, ready? until I was 20 <laughs> in my 20s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the things, because even the guys that I was dating, they were pretty boys. Mm-hmm. They're all very pretty, very effeminate, very soft, very sweet. Didn't get it. I just didn't get it until right. like I was in my 20s. And it was like, okay, there's this thing in me that I need to figure out. You know, it's like banging at my door, right? I need to understand what's going on. And so one fateful night, 
I finally got up the courage to find out. And uh, I went to the only lesbian club there was in Philadelphia. Mm. Sheer terror. (laughs) Absolute terror. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even go in the LGBT community center. That's how terrified I was. Right. Because, you know, we're talking strict religious upbringing. So this Mm -hmm. was absolutely, you know, uh, but it's like, it's like trying to walk around holding a ball <laughs> underwater, right? right. <laughs> That's how I felt. It's like, okay, I've got to figure out what this is. And so I go, and and to me, really, it was fate. It was destiny because I go to this club, and it's essentially closed. <laughs> All the table, the chairs are up on the table. It's owned by this lesbian couple, and there's only one other woman in there. And literally, she was the most beautiful woman I've seen. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're talking like Vanessa Williams, beautiful, like gorgeous for okay. me. That was my gorgeous, right? Okay. okay. And I just like, so it's just the two of us in there. And the bartender is back there. The two of them, you know, they're a couple and they're just looking at this going, this is a <laughs> So they help us along a little bit. They're like, you know, this was a not great part of town and I took a taxi <laughs> and they're about to close so she makes me a drink but she's like you know you're gonna need to get a ride back because you can't walk and so she said maybe this you know maybe this woman over here will let you <laughs> get a ride with her so you know she asked her sure enough she said yes so we get to talking and she takes me home and you know gives me a ride back and she was my first girlfriend oh, and wow. you know, it, I know, Talk right? about universal favor, right? <laughs> right? I mean, really, it's funny you use that word too. I'll tell you that story another day, but <laughs> that's a very, very specific word that you just use. It's really perfect, <laughs> very connected to the two. But um, so, yeah, that, that's how everything started. And I will tell you, it was like for me, I had been living in a world of black and white. Mm. And then all of a sudden, there's color everywhere, and it's vibrant color. And the sun shines brighter, and the birds are singing. I mean, it was literally like that. It was just my world was turned upside down. It was literally like I had gone from living in a world of black and white to just vivid color. And I'd never felt anything like it. Mm. So that's that was the most pivotal moment, for sure. So would you call that relationship your official first love relationship? Yeah. Yes, most yeah. definitely. Right. I think anytime you talk about like your whole world changes, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear, right? <laughs> right. So bouncing back into your youth a bit, um, I, you know, I feel like part of doing this project is really bringing light to not only the queerness of the women, but also the, uh, the color of our skin, right? Because it has been so, Um, I, I feel like we deal with so many issues already in terms of being women and being in a male dominated industry. And there are already so many labels that happen Mm -hmm. when you walk into the door, but then once someone maybe finds out, Mm -hmm. right, that you're anything other than straight, there's like a whole, thing that you have to deal with. And so um, at what point, even in terms of your race, were you really aware of 
or did the world make you aware that you were whatever they consider as something other? So it's really interesting. And I love that you just, you know, addressed it as this kind of blanket topic because, you know, color, skin color, degrees of lightness, darkness, you know, we, we deal with not, you know, everybody thinks racism and then just go, okay, those folks over there to us. But it's like, there's stuff internal as well. And actually my first, my first instances of even having any sense of color, because I, you know, you have to be taught, right? Right. Uh, was in school, in kindergarten. So we're talking five, six years old. And there were other, you know, kids on the playground. And I start getting picked on. I start getting, you know, called names. And, and then everybody, they just start calling me white girl, white girl. And poking at me and pushing at me and wanting to fight me. And I'm going, what in the world, planet? I have no clue what they're even talking about. Right. And, and the irony is the girl who was kind of the big bully, she was probably, she looked more white than anybody, right? Like she was even lighter than I was. <laughs> Real, you know, more mixed looking. But I didn't think, again, I had no sense or concept of color until then. And there was one white girl who was in the school, right? So this is Philadelphia Public School, all mm-hmm. black, you know, children. There was one white girl in our class. And they, you know, our school pictures came out. And I, this was the only connection I could make. And I was right next to her and we looked like we could have been sisters. Mm. So from that moment on, I started to get called white girl and you talk like this and you dress, you know, all, all kinds. I used to run from home, <laughs> run from school, you know, on my way home. It was, it was crazy. That was my first was actually about, you know, skin color. And my godmother actually looked completely white. So that was another thing. She was married to my godfather, who's clearly a black man, right? But she was mixed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she used to get called all sorts of things from being married to him because they thought she was white, married to a black man. So she got it. And then here I was with the two of them. So I looked like their little mixed kid. I mean, it was just, that was a whole other, whole other level. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. But, you know, in the traditional sense, ironically, I didn't encounter anything overt, anything that I knew, right, until I was probably in my mid-20s. That's crazy, right? But I was probably in my mid-20s, and I was driving across the country by myself, so all my worldly belongings are in the car, old beat-up thing, you know, $800 car. (laughs) And uh, this was right before the riot. Ironically, <laughs> oh, okay. um, out of that. So I literally was living right where the riots started. Mm. And three days before they started, I left California to drive back to Philadelphia by myself. And this, this sheriff, I get to Texas, the border check, you know, that whole checkpoint at Texas. Right. And this sheriff, it was like a scene out of a movie. This sheriff, white sheriff, decided he needed to make an example out of me. Mm. You know, and scare the living, wanted to scare the living bejesus out of me, right? And and he succeeded in that moment, you know, because I was terrified. I was 
all by myself. Nobody, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. Right. <laughs> so right. Nobody to call. Nobody right. knew where I was, you know. So I was absolutely terrified. But mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, so I literally drove 15 hours straight after that so that I could get out of Texas as soon as I could. Because right. I was like, I don't want to be anywhere like this ever again. I'm right. treated like this. Because I, I had never had that, you know. So, so yeah, that was probably the most poignant moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it seems to be the same uh, kind of across the board in terms of there's like these points where, you know, you're aware, right? But then eventually something happens where it just sort of makes you right. overtly aware that uh, yes. there are some people who Very, have some issues mm-hmm. <laughs> with you for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that seems that's to be right. Or with who I, who I represent, right? Not right. even with me, just right. what I represent. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to dive a little bit uh, it more into your artistry. Um, so I know that you dance. I know that you sing. I know that you are a woman of many talents. Um, but in, in, your, in your process of your work, do you find that once, once you really kind of came out, right, really more so to yourself, right, and, and sort of seeing that color, mm-hmm. <laughs> then um, do you feel as though the work transformed in some ways, perhaps um, in a way of you feeling like you could be more authentic in your work, or do you feel like you were always authentic and maybe just didn't have a name for it? Um, you know, do, or do you feel like you became more stifled perhaps because it wasn't as well received in the industry? So thankfully for me, I had been creating and, and in terms of songwriting, I was kind of in the closet about that, right? I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I wouldn't dare call myself a songwriter for probably 10 years later, mm. but it was just a creative expression for me. Right. And in, you know, I started out in theater, which is a very forgiving, right, very open world. (laughs) And that was a gift because I didn't encounter a lot of things that, you know, you could encounter. So Mm -hmm. I felt very free. And in fact, in fact, around the race issue, I got I was given a leading role. So we had moved out to the burbs, uh, to the suburbs. And, you know, I'm, I'm now very clear. I'm only one of a handful of, of Black people in the school, in my class, maybe one or two of us, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I was given a leading role opposite a white guy. Mm. Now, again, this was not overt, but it was probably the first time there was also shadings of it was I was supposed to be opposite one guy. But his family was very prominent in the mm-hmm. in the area. There, lots of money, lots of influence, and all of a sudden, I got switched to another guy. But the most amazing thing happened was, you know, we had to kiss for like eight eight bars, something crazy. <laughs> this long kiss on stage, and the whole audience went crazy, absolutely cheering and applauding. I mean. And I, again, had no idea how amazing and unusual that was, right? Mm. A, that my music director did that, but B, the response. 
So I feel in some ways I was really shielded because of being in musical theater. And it was this escape for me and all that I had been going through. I could get it all out on the stage and, you know, in the character. And then secretly I'm writing my own songs and getting things out that way. So it was just really, really helpful. But by the time I had, you know, really come to grips with who I am and, and what's deep inside of me, and just part of who I am, I actually had this shift also spiritually at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So, and this was the tug of war for me, right? The spiritual, sexual battle, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to, you know, integrate these pieces. And so for me, there was this major stifling that happened because I actually went right back in the closet right after mm-hmm. I came out. Six months later, you know, I was like, I, you know, something happened. This major event happened. And I thought this was a sign from God saying, you know, this is wrong get out. So I shut it down and I went mm-hmm. back in the closet and I started trying to be a good Christian girl. <laughs> and I even went to Bible college and I mean, I'm telling you, oh, wow. I was like, right. I was in church where they were trying to, you know, get the demons out of me. I mean, I, I was just like, I was, it was just a little slice of hell to tell you the truth. It was awful. Right. And then I ended up getting kicked out of there because, you know, they didn't think that it worked. <laughs> wow. I don't know. And yeah, and getting called a wolf in sheep's clothing. So that sends me to Bible college where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be 100%, you know, and I was like asexual for probably about five years. I didn't date anybody. I didn't do nothing. I was like, I'm going to be 100% all for God, right? That's it. <laughs> I don't even, sex who needs any of that. I'm just going to sing. And, and that's when the music really started to come through for me. Mm-hmm. But it was in praise and worship, right? Writing worship songs and praise songs, inspirational songs, things like that. So, you know, and and if you kind of fast forward over the next 10 years, it really was this back and forth, you know, really trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what I need to do. And, and then setting, okay, God, you know, I've had enough of that. I'm, I can't do it. So then I'm going to hell and I'm going to, I'm an abomination. God hates me. So now I'm just going to go for my career. And that's when, you know, career things started to really pick up. So I focused on that. You know, that's when Broadway came and national tours and, you know, Carnegie Hall and all of those things. Cause I just, I set that on a shelf, but then it's like you hit a wall, at least for me, I kind of hit a wall with that because it's now I'm separating something that's also deeply a part of who I am. You know, my spiritual journey was clearly mine from like the age of seven. I knew I was connected with God at that age. And and when I got baptized, I knew this was just this outer symbol for everybody else, but I already knew, right? Right. I already had a connection. Seriously, right? I would Mm -hmm. talk to God all the time and I would, you know, get guidance and I knew I was protected. I really, really did. So you know, for me to try and set God on a shelf and just go for my career was like cutting off half of me also. Mm-hmm. So this was just my life of, you know, cutting off one part of me to try and satisfy the other and then swinging to the other side, you know, very much a Libran. So <laughs> I was trying to balance the scales, right? <laughs> However anybody believes about that. But that was, this has been my life, you know, until finally, really over many, many years, finding this place of integration. And this is where, you know, 
I hit a real, you know, low point because I just thought I can't do this anymore. Right. If I'm just hated and I'm an abomination and, and I can't live this way. So, you know, why am I even here? You know, my godmother was dying. So I was just like, so what? And literally right at that low point, my nephew committed suicide. Oh, wow. And it was really, really painful. It was really, really difficult. Mm. Um, because in one of the households, he was like my younger brother. So it was like I lost a younger brother in that. And that, that woke me up because it's like, okay, I've got to figure this out. One way or another, I've got to figure this out. And this is when I literally, I found out for the first time about MCC. Mm. And I heard there was a new one opening up nearby and they were just starting with a Bible. Actually, no, take that back. I just heard there was going to be a Bible study about homosexuality in the Bible. This is all I knew and spiritual abuse and all of that. And I thought, okay, maybe this is going to help me unpack some of the stuff that I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And little did I know, I walked in and became a founding member of uh, one of those churches that's still there, Imago Day MCC. And it literally saved my life because it finally helped me to make peace with who I am on all sides of who I am right. and bring all of me together. And that right. was a beautiful gift. And that was many years ago. And it's, it's been an amazing journey. And that's when my music, my musicality really flourished. I mm. started my own record label. I recorded my first CD. I toured the country with that CD. And it was just like, I'm, I'm home. You know, I'm home within myself. Mm. I'm at peace with God. The music was flowing out of me like crazy. Songs would come and it was like downloads. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm called to do. And it's been an, it's been a crazy, amazing journey since. <laughs> <laughs> in, in your process of uh, finding your balance, right? In your process of mm-hmm. understanding that you really could be all of who you are and still have the love of divine and still be connected to the universe and all of those things, right? Yeah, um, yeah. How were you... How are you able to really connect that? I mean, I, you know, it's so, and, and I ask that question because I, and do, do you still find that there are points in your life now that you still have to connect? And meaning, like I, my father's a preacher. I grew up in the church. So I come from a lot of that mentality that, you know, being who I am is a sin and all of these things. Uh, and so every once in a while, I find myself, um, sort of thinking, right? It comes up in the subconscious of like, oh, you know, this is happening because of this. And then I have to say, wait a minute. No, that's ridiculous. That's just old brain thinking, right? Do you still find that that is a struggle for you every once in a while? And then in terms of being able to create that balance, um, was it more so through the church or do you think it was more so just through your, your, coming to an understanding that you had to just accept all of who you were or a, a balance of both? Yeah, I, I like to think of it um, as a journey, really. It is a process and a journey that continues to unfold. You know, mm-hmm. to me, we are, you know, we have multiple layers. 
there's so many layers to who we are. And so as a, a, a layer gets un, you know, unpeeled, right? Peeled away, falls away, it reveals something else. It reveals another place where there still needs to be a shift or a healing or a releasing or a feeling of being more free in who I am and free in the world. You know, you can be out and I've sung at pride parades all across the country. <laughs> you know, I've done all sorts of things, right? Marches, pride marches. I've, you know, I've done a ton of things, but it's in the small areas, right? Where there's still that like, okay, do I just come right out first? You know, do I at least want to make connection human to human, right? So that people can just get a sense of who I am and see before all, you know, they already have to deal with this other level or layer, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe they couldn't even get through. And, you know, I, I have, I have still some dear friends, you know, there's so much, there's so much to that question. There's so many places I could go. <laughs> but I still have a dear, dear friend that I just love like a brother um, from Bible college. And when, and that Bible college was a very evangelical, you know, ultra, ultra um, fundamentalist Christian Bible college. And, you know, he, we just, we just loved each other. We were like a big, big brother and little sister. And we just got on each other's nerves and drove each other crazy. But we, but we were there for each other in the hardest times and the lowest times. We were there to just work out our salvation and fear and trembling, like literally like that. We were there for each other in those, those years at the Bible college. And then it continued, right? He went on to seminary and, you know, I went on to do things that I went on to doing uh, Christian theater, right? So, you know, oh. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we've just, it has been a long time. We have stayed friends. We are still friends. But as I came out, you know, to myself and we try and talk about things, we actually just realized there were just certain areas we couldn't talk about them anymore because it was really clear you're over there and I'm over here. Right. Right. And, and at first we tussle about it, but then it's like, okay, but, but actually underneath all of that, you're my brother. I'm your sister. Like, I love you. Like, right. And that I'm not kidding. has been one of the most amazing friendships I have ever had to actually know we completely disagree on probably every major issue there is. <laughs> right. <I'll> like <laughs> Glenn Toten NRA from West Virginia Hills mm. wouldn't think twice to shoot me dead. Right. Right. He right. now he was facing that to even be my friend, let alone like, you know, love me like a sister. Right. And, you know, all of that, all of those dynamics. And we have just we have been able to just be there for each other. We check in from time to time. How are you doing? How's your mom? How's your family? You know, I've, I've visited him like it's just, you know, he visited my family. So, you know, there to me, there are these opportunities for all of us to just realize, okay, these are aspects of who we are, but at our core, we're just, you know, we're brothers and sisters. We're, we're a human being. And if we will stay open to that opportunity to just love one another, 
that helps us, I believe, to also then love ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and that to me is where it has to start. It's like, I've got to love myself enough to be who I am, but also recognize, you know, people are on their journey too. They may not be able to handle some things about me and that's okay, right? right. I actually right. had another dear friend. We've known each other for 25 years. Now that went the opposite way. He went real super righteous, actually was one of my my college boyfriends, uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> actually he was my last boyfriend. That's probably why he's, <laughs> but I mean, and he's, he become super, you know, super evangelical Christian. And literally a few weeks ago called me up and was like, you know, you're, you're in a wrong place. You're going to hell and you're da, 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 da. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So People are where they are. You know, I was there, right? So in my own journey, I was there. So I recognize he's just where he is. And I can send love to him, love and light and pray, <laughs> as I'm sure he's doing for me. Right. And guess what? It'll be what it'll be, right? We'll all, we'll all see it in the end, won't we? But right. what I know I'm called to is love. That's all. Not to right. judge. Not to try and change him, fix him, do anything. I'm here to love. And I just sent love to him. I said, I know you mean well. I know your heart is in the right place. And you just, you know, you care. And right. I said, but it's, this is truth. This is my truth. I love God. God loves me. God created me. You know, this is how it is. So, you know, and, and we're all dealing with all of those varying levels of you know, connection with each other, with ourselves, how much to reveal. You have to use wisdom, <laughs> I believe, right? Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My belief doesn't have to be somebody else's. You want to be bold, do your seek, because there will be times I'll be bold when someone else will be like, are you crazy? But if in that moment I'm feeling led to be bold in a way that maybe I wouldn't normally be, then I'll be bold. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just allowing God, spirit, divine, the universe to lead and guide you in the moments, mm-hmm. in the moment. You will know what to say, what to do, and be true to who you are, no matter what. So while we're talking about the aspect of love, can you tell me what is your definition of self-care and self-love? How do you how do you care for yourself? How do you show love to yourself? And it can be anything, bubble baths in the summertime. I don't just. <laughs> I, love, I really loved this question. I have to tell you because, you know, how we define love in this time, you kind of said it also with self-care. Self-care to me is first listening to God's voice, listening to the divine voice within and following that to the best of my ability, having the courage to do that. And so that's eating well, that's getting the rest that I need, that's surrounding myself with the love of family and friends who care about me and I care about them, who lift me up and I lift them up. You know, so those are key aspects of spiritual growth. I am an avid reader. I read probably three and four and five books simultaneously, some via audio books. <laughs> right, right. right. I love to learn. I love to continue growing spiritually. I'm constantly studying. I'm constantly 
wanting to know the new or latest understandings uh, in science, in metaphysics, in spiritual and science and how they're interconnecting. Mm -hmm. I am just absolutely fascinated by this planet that we live on and the to me the divine perfection that is all around us and how to bring more of that into my own life to keep my heart my mind at peace and my heart full of joy and love so that that's what I can share with other people so Mm. that for me that's what you know self-care is all about and love to me Love, I actually wrote this down because I I really wanted to give some thought here. So I loved your, this question. Yeah, what does love look like to me? Mm -hmm. So to me, love looks and feels like, now I'm talking romantic love here. Okay. I'll be specific. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, actually now that I look at it, it doesn't have to just be for romance, right? Uh, So love looks and feels like two hearts giving and receiving freely, caring deeply, respectfully, honest, supportive, patient, forgiving, passionate, sincere, loyal, and joyful, Hmm. divine. Ashe. So I have one more quick, one last question for you. Um, And I I have asked everyone that I've interviewed, um, if you were to share space with a young woman who is a queer young woman of color artist and trying to find their way uh, through this industry, no matter what their medium, uh, what advice would you offer them in terms of understanding who they are and understanding who they can be in their passion? The number one thing I would say is always as much as you possibly can listen to your gut. To me, that is the voice of the divine within giving you guidance, giving you wisdom. And I will say every time I don't listen to it, (laughs) I wish that I had. (laughs) I know that Um, Yes, right? And, and that's an ongoing, continual lesson I try, right, to get better and better at. Mm-hmm. But absolutely listen to your gut. I said no to things that people would just think that's crazy that I said no to, especially in the music industry, especially in the recording industry. I said no, like three times <laughs> to contracts that, you know, people would have gone crazy for. But I knew in my soul and my heart of hearts with every fiber of my being, that was not it for me. And it was hard to say no, but I said no. And I'm so grateful because what it did is created the open space for me to create what is right for me, mm-hmm. right? And, and that was, you know, creating a whole new label, you know, in 2006 when no one was doing that. People weren't doing that. I think Mariah Carey was the only one did it. I read her. I read her article about how to do it. I started it myself, right? So, <laughs> but just know that even if it looks like an amazing opportunity, if ask questions, get wisdom and guidance from others. I just did that today with something that I was being presented with, and I, you know, reached out to some colleagues and friends. Get wisdom, but then. At the end of the day, listen to your gut and follow it. Have the courage to follow whatever that guidance is. 
and then know that on the other side of that decision, there'll be another open door, right? There'll be something else. You will be given the guidance for that next step. And many times you won't get that until you said no. Right. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that's a big one right there. Oh, well, that's a whole sermon in itself. <laughs> all by itself, baby, all by itself. <laughs> Martin Luther King knew that when he said sometimes just the one step, right? Just take the one step. Is all you'll get, and you won't get the next one until you're until you know it's time. So, right. yeah, take that, take the right step for you in this moment. Trust, mm-hmm. trust, trust, and keep moving, keep moving. Yes. Because you will feel like you want to give up. You will feel like you get knocked down, kicked in the gut, wind taken out of your sails. There's a lyric in my recent song that came from my feeling that way. Uh, It's a song I wrote called You Are Enough, or actually it's I Am Enough. And it says, (laughs) oh, I love this because it's like, well, because it's that thing, I'm trying to like keep myself together because (laughs) it says when an arrow, for an arrow to fly higher and farther, It must be pulled back deeper and harder. So don't give up and don't give in. Mm. Mm. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to this interview with Orgina. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she has coming up next. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed. One love.